0: One of the most popular ways that the New Testament speaks about the Christian life is as a walk. This shouldn't be surprising since Jesus calls his disciples to follow him. This summer at Holy Cross, we're looking at how we are called to follow Jesus. What are the distinctive practices of the Christian life? Why do we do those things? And how does the perfect and finished work of Jesus change how we approach living? Join us as we take a sustained look in the scriptures at The Walk. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in all earnestness, and in fact for our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. And I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of, your, of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich." And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that is a matter of fairness Your abundance at the present time should supply their needs so that their abundance may supply your need. That there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. It's God's word. It's given so that we might flourish. Would you pray with me? Father, we are about to enter into uh, dangerous territory for many of us, and so, well, if not for all of us. So we need your spirit to come, soften our hearts, help us to hear, hear your gospel. So that Lord Jesus might be raised up and lifted up in our minds and in our hearts. Uh, for Lord, whatever we do from here on out, uh, it is the gospel that matters. And so, Lord, let Christ and his cross come to the fore and let the one who speaks fall to the wayside because you alone hold the words of eternal life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So I think it would be good if we just go ahead and get the cards on the table, shall we? When, when I said um, that we were talking about generosity, some of you, and some of you were here at Holy Cross for the first time, and welcome again. But when I said generosity, you said, I picked today to visit this place. Um, like, because for some of us, as soon as I said that, our worst fears about church and Christians were confirmed, Right. Many of us believe that the church is just after our money, you know, pastor's just out to pad his wallet, like, that's, that's what this is all about. These are things we immediately think. And so, before I even begin this, I, I just want to say this up front, and, and if you're a member of regular tender, I hope you'll stay after church to actually get the details on this, but as a church, we're in a better place financially than we've ever been in, okay? We're not starting a building campaign today. Uh, we're not rolling out a new budget. Okay? This, is just, this is one of the practices that attaches itself to the Christian life, and so we have to talk about it. Okay? There's no agenda here. Uh, Jesus talked about money a lot. In fact, he talked about money more than he talked about hell. He talked about money a lot. Because he knew how often we look to money to make our lives right, to save us. Today, though, what our text is telling us, what we're going to get to in a second, is that... Giving Christian giving is more about what we think is true about Jesus than it is any particular need that we see. And so, as always, there's an outline in your bulletin. We're actually going to look at this in two ways this morning. It may be striking to some of you, but there are only two points this morning. We're going to look at what Christian generosity is, and we're going to look at what Christian, where Christianity, Christian generosity comes from. Okay, What Christian generosity is and where it originates. Okay, well, Let me set the scene real quick. This letter that we read out of this morning is the second letter of Paul to the Corinthians. So there's a, there's a church in Corinth, which is a city in Greece. It had a kind of a jaded history. It was destroyed at least once by Romans and then rebuilt. And had an awful reputation uh, for, for licentiousness and crazy stuff that went on there. But Paul planted a church there in Corinth. This is the second letter that he wrote to them. The first one, obviously, is called... 1 Corinthians, and so um, Paul is writing this letter. Now, Paul is an unlikely convert, right? Because he wasn't always a Christian. Like, none of us are always, nobody's born a Christian. I know some of us may think that. You weren't weren't born a Christian. Uh, uh, And and so, Paul wasn't always a Christian. He was, as a young man, he was the kind of guy, very zealous man, very passionate man. And and he actually sought to imprison and and hurt, kill Christians, in fact, for the fact that they believed what they believed. Until one day he had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus and everything changed for him. And so one of the things that Paul is writing about in this letter, and actually in his first letter to the Corinthians as well, is that he is, there, there is a collection that he's taking up among all of the churches that he planted in the Macedonian world, uh, an offering that he's gathering from them to help relieve the plight of Christians in another part of the world who are going through a famine. Okay? Because I don't know if you knew this, in the ancient world there was no like, Government aid like the ancient world knew nothing of that. it was if if things were going bad for you you were you were out of luck uh, and and so the church came along and was helpful in that and and so generosity was always part of the church like acts chapter 2 acts is that book that talks about the early church acts chapter 2 says that in fact they in the early church they had no poor among them like that was one of the marks of the church they so helped one another there was no poor among them but paul is talking not just about that generosity but something above and beyond that it's not talking about your regular giving at this point he's talking about uh asking for more than that above and beyond what they normally would have given okay and so, like I said, this passage tells us a couple things about Christian generosity, what it is and where it comes from. And honestly, we're very confused about both. Most of us think that Christian, Christian generosity is kind of just giving what we feel like, and, and we think it originates from some sense of guilt or, or uh, duty. Paul says not, not so, okay? And so heres let, let's, let's look at what Christian generosity is, okay? This passage tells us at least four things that are part of Christian generosity. The first is that Christian generosity is spiritual. Look down at verse 7. He says, just as you excel, or, or literally are filled in everything, faith and word and knowledge and all earnestness and our love for you, excel also in this act of grace. Now stop there. This, is, this verse is insanely important because most of us in this room are very bipolar about our attitudes towards money. They're, most of us, I would say, because of where we live and the time in which we live in, believe that money is everything. And what I mean by that is we believe it's going to give us what we want out of life. We, we work, not because we enjoy labor, because we enjoy the work that we're given, but we work to get money so that then we can go do what we want, right? We, we work so that I can get a paycheck, and when I get paid, then I can go actually do what I want. We, we, uh, we believe in our minds if we just had a little more, if I could just get that new toy, if I could, um, if I could just get the bill collectors to quit calling me, if I could... If I could just have that vacation I always wanted, then I'd be okay. We think we're going to make our world right. Others of us, though, we, we're not so much on that side, though we vacillate. That's, I think we all live there to some extent. But then there are others of us who kind of lean on the fact that it's evil, right? Money is, money is the root of all evil. Not the love of money, but money itself becomes the root of all evil. It's, just, it's a necessary evil, certainly, but it, you hate it. It's like, ah, why do I have to have this? Why, why does this... It's a constant stressor. It's always making me nervous. I'm constantly afraid. I'm not going to be able to have enough. But Paul cuts against both of these because he talks about giving. He talks about giving. He talks about generosity as an act of grace or a gift. Okay? Here's what I mean. When... when um, Christians believe, and the Bible teaches, that when you become a Christian, like I said, no one's born a Christian, you, you become a Christian, trusting in Jesus alone for to make you right with God, that when you when you finally, like, lay your life in his hands, that something else happens. You're made right with God, but also you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you, that, that's weird language. The Holy Spirit, Christians believe that God exists in three persons. the so One God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And then the moment in which you come to know Jesus, you place your faith in him, That you, the Holy Spirit, God himself, actually comes and dwells in you. Okay, And so, when the Holy Spirit fills you and lives in you, you are given what are called gifts to be blessings to others. Spiritual gifts. Okay, That's what he's talking about here. The Corinthians excelled in faith, which in itself can be a gift, in word, in other words, in, in teaching, and the ability to teach and to, to teach others, knowledge and zeal, and so Paul says to excel in this other gift, or grace as well, and the gift that he's talking about is giving. It's a gift. Now, This means that giving is a spiritual gift. And what this means is that, first off, money can't be everything, because here Paul is saying that giving is a gift, which means that money is being used at the service of something else, namely God. It can't be everything. But at the same time, it can't be evil, because God is using it as a blessing to others. So it it must be something else. Now, here's the problem. When Christians, the Christians in the room, when we we see or when we hear of the idea of spiritual gifts... We assume that unless we have that gift, we don't need to practice it, right? So in other words, like, um, like, if I don't have the gift of evangelism, I don't actually have to ever tell the story of Jesus to anyone else, right? If I don't have the gift of teaching, I don't actually have to be required to know anything about the faith. I just, look, it's, it's not my gift. Well, that's not, not so, not everyone in this room has the gift of evangelism, but we're all supposed to be able to help others encounter Jesus. Not everyone in this room has the gift of teaching, but we all are supposed to help other others know Jesus in some way. And, and certainly, not everyone in this room has the gift of service. Uh, but uh, but we're all called to help. Or we're all called to show Jesus to the world. Okay, which means that unique gifting is an added thing. Okay, it's an added thing. So here's what Paul means. All of us are called to give, but some of us are gifted to give. Everyone is called to give, but some of us are gifted to give. Now, what does it mean that you are gifted to give? What it doesn't mean is that you find it easy to part with your money. Right? If that's the case, all of us have just ruled it out. I am not gifted in that way. Right? Because nobody, nobody finds that easy. Uh, And so it would become the easiest thing for us to deny. What it means, biblically, is that some of us have been given more So that we can give more. Like some of us have been given more so that we can give more. Now even saying that, some of us are like, we don't like that language. We've been given more. What does that mean? Well, we don't like it, but the Bible does teach it. We need to hear it that everything we have has been given to us by God. God owns it all. And he's sovereign over where it goes. Okay? Okay. And so, do you want to know whether you've been given the gift of giving? How much have you been given? How much have you been given? Now, notice I didn't say, how much are you spending? That's a whole other question. I said, how much have you been given? In any case, though, what what Paul is saying is that giving is a grace. It is a grace given to us to give to others. In other words, giving, Christian generosity, first and foremost, is spiritual. But second, It's also intentional. Look down at verses 10 to 11. Paul says, you know, summary, Paul says, look, you started this a year ago, so don't just desire to do it, but do it. Okay, so background. Remember that this is giving us to go to other Christians uh, that are economically hurting. And Paul is trying to raise the money in all of these churches, churches that he started throughout the Mediterranean world. And he's saying, look, I know you want to do this because you did want to do it when I first asked, but now you need to complete it. Now, here's why this matters. Many of us—I don't know if it's all of us—but many of us believe that if something is to be spiritual, it has to be spontaneous, right? That if something is spiritual, it's spontaneous. Like it's like the way that many of us believe that if something is to actually be truly loving; it has to be spontaneous. So that if you're actually planning to do something for your spouse or for a significant other, then it's not actually loving. It would just come to you immediately. Like, I know, you know, it, it, it's, it, it's as if. So, in the spiritual sense, it's as if the spirit of God is not. Not part of the planning process. He's never present in the planning. He's never present in the preparation. He's only present when you show up and all of a sudden something happens. You're like, dude, where did that come from? Like, I don't know. It must be the Spirit of God. Like, it, Holy Spirit is present in all of it. Okay? He's present in all of it. There has to be a plan in place on how we are going to give. Why? Because if you've never given money, then your, your, your margins are way off. Right? If you've never given, like, uh, curing our spending habits by getting more money is like curing obesity by getting a bigger belt. You know what I mean? Like, that, that doesn't cure anything. We always will expand to fill it. And, and this is the same way. If you're going to actually give, you have to have a plan in place. And in Paul's last letter, in 1 Corinthians, when, when, he, when he spoke of this, he actually told them how to do it. He said on the first day of the week, which would be Today, right? Sunday. He said to put away, put aside a portion of what you have. Now, this is telling because for most people that Paul would have been speaking to, they weren't like savers, they weren't independently wealthy, they were paycheck to paycheck folks. And Sunday, like you have a whole week's worth of work coming, which means that you you you've gotten your money and you have to make it last now. And so he's telling them to put aside their money first. First before they spent on other things. In other words, it's not like leftovers. It's, it's intentional in what is first. Okay, So Christian giving is spiritual. It's intentional. But it's also proportional. Look down at verses 12 to 13. Paul says this, For if the willingness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what a person doesn't have. Now, I need to say at least two things about this. First, let's deal with this notion of something being acceptable. Because... As soon as I say that, some of you are probably thinking, you should be thinking, like, acceptable to, to whom? Like, who, who gets to call that one? Uh, listen close, because this is totally misunderstood in, in our culture. And when I say our culture, I mean both Christian culture and in just secular culture, non-Christian culture. Giving, ultimately, is not to the church. Can I say that again? Giving, ultimately, is not to the church. Okay? It is to God. We don't give our money because the church needs it, though that may be the case, right? Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. The gates of hell aren't going to prevail against it. Christ will build his church. We give our money because God gave it to us, okay? Again, let me say this again. I'm going to flesh it out a little bit. Especially in American culture, we are attached to this idea that we built our wealth, right? That, that we created it, that, we, we, um, that money, in fact, saves us. Like, if you're here and you kind of identify as kind of part of this broad, ambiguous, amorphous group that we call the middle class, right? You, You probably believe that with enough money you can solve any problem. And if you don't believe me, then think about what you think in your head when you see the starving kid in Africa on the TV. Right? Or you see poverty in our own streets and you think to yourself, if I just had a big enough check, I could take care of that and they would never have want again. Are you kidding me? You think money can solve every problem, and it can't. You're not even thinking about what harm that might do. Because that's part of our thing. It means, for most of us, money is an idol. It's a false god. It's a false god that we chase to make us right. False God that we chase to prove that we matter. If I have enough, I'll matter. We, we chase it to give us the life we think we were made for. And so when God commands us to give, when he says to give, it's not because he needs our money. It's because he knows that we need to give it away. We need to train our hearts to reject the notion that money saves us. That money gives us life. Or that money makes us flourish. So whether, it's a, whether a, a gift is acceptable means... That, that God is the judge of our giving. Not the treasurer of the church and not the pastor. Can I tell you straight up? I don't know how much you give. I have no clue. I don't see any of that stuff. Like, I, I don't know. Our treasurer does. Like, somebody sees it, obviously, because you get a little receipt in the mail around January that tells you how much you gave that last year. But then me. So, ain't being judged by me. Uh, it is acceptable, though, before God. How is it acceptable? Well, it's based on what we have. Okay, our giving is to be proportional. Proportional means according to what you have. Now, in in uh, if you've been in the church a long time, you've probably heard this word, tithe. Right? Tithe is a churchy word. It means ten percent, and and that's what our, our, our Old Testament reading was about. This that that uh, Rebecca read earlier that from Malachi that ten percent of our gross income is to be brought into the storehouse. And and in Malachi, the storehouse that meant the temple, like the place where God's people come to worship. In other words, the church. That ten percent of our income is to be brought into there. Whether you you make five figures, four figures, or six figures. Right? Doesn't matter. Whether you are, uh, whether, whether you are somebody who's, who's working retail, or whether you're someone working as a CEO, or whether you're the pastor. Right? Like, it doesn't matter. But listen to me. In the Bible, some of you know this because you've heard me say this, but in the Bible, the tithe, that 10%, is the baseline of giving. It's not the high five. it's It's the baseline. Okay? Now, we're going to get to that in a second. But what Paul is saying here is that our giving is supposed to be proportional to what we what we've been given. Okay. Now again, we balk at that because we think, I made this, Rick. Don't talk to me about what I've been given because I made this. Uh, we, we made it, we worked for it, it's ours and quite frankly, pastor needs to stop meddling. But listen to me, everything we have comes from God and if you don't believe me, listen, we were not independent in building this ourselves and if you don't believe any of that, let me give you the basic part of it. You didn't determine the family you were born into the time period in which you were born into, the gifts that you've been given, or in fact, many of the opportunities that you have, right? If you were born into 6th century Tibet, your house would look very different than the house you live in, whether that's an apartment or a mansion. Way different. You'd be lucky if you had an ox. Okay? That is not to say we aren't responsible for those things, for using those well. That's what our new Testament, our gospel lesson was about this morning, about using what God has given us well. But what we have, we've been given. And God retains the right as king of the universe to tell us what we do with it. So Christian generosity is supposed to be spiritual. It's supposed to be intentional. It's supposed to be proportional. And then lastly, it's supposed to be sacrificial. Look down at verse 9. This is the famous verse of the passage. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And though being rich for your sake, he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. Now, let me be very clear. Paul is using this metaphorically. This is a metaphor. What he is not saying is that Jesus' work, his life and death, his resurrection, was he did all that so that you might become materially wealthy. Now, you may come to believe that because you turn on your television and you watch, like, real pastors of L.A., who, by the way, are neither real nor pastors, uh, but you watch real pastors of L.A. and you think this is what is, I'm here to be materially wealthy. That, that is a lie from the pit of hell. Okay? Jesus' work on the cross, his life, his death, his resurrection, is not there to make us materially prosperous. Okay? Paul is speaking more principally than anything else. And so when Paul speaks about Jesus being rich but becoming poor, he's talking about an exchange of circumstances. He's talking about an exchange of circumstances. Think about that for a minute. What Paul is saying is that our giving is not to be benchmarked by our community. you would be like, well, I mean, I know I don't give a ton, but I give better than those people. Those people too. Like, I'm doing all right for myself. We're not supposed to benchmark where we fit in our little community. Our giving is to be measured against Jesus. It's to be measured against Jesus. Jesus exchanged his very position for ours, Jesus gave up all his wealth to take on our poverty. Now, we may think, like, look, that's, yeah, Rick, but I get it. That's Jesus. God wouldn't actually expect that of any of us. But listen, look look in verse 7, because he says, he wants. Paul says he wants the Corinthians to excel in this grace. And the next time he talks about the grace is in verse 9, when he says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's saying, look, if you want to measure your giving, you want to measure how your generosity is, measure it against Jesus. Christian generosity begins with the proportional tithe. Absolutely. However, it is meant to extend beyond that. Just as it did in the Old Testament. This isn't just New Testament stuff. The Old Testament was the same way. Now, again, some of you have been Christians a long time and you're thinking to yourself, Rick, there's no. The only command about giving in the New Testament is that it come from a cheerful heart. So I am waiting. And when I get cheerful, I will give. Keep waiting. I'm waiting. Let's just all wait right now. Maybe God knows. It, it, it doesn't happen. Listen, uh, you are right. You are right. The New Testament gives no such command, but frankly, it doesn't have to. Paul says right here, if you want to know what kind of generosity is appropriate for the Christian, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. And so if you're here this morning and you tend to think of, well of yourself because, you know what, like, it took me a while, but I've worked up to tithing. I'm there. I'm, I've arrived. I need, you to hear me, I need you to hear me really close. Well done. Now look to Jesus. Well done. Now look to Jesus. Because frankly, if your giving does not impact your lifestyle, it is not sacrificial. And therefore, there is room for growth. If your giving does not impact your lifestyle, then it's not sacrificial. There's room for growth. Just like there is for me. Just like there is for me. We follow Jesus, friends. And can I tell you really clearly you cannot, you cannot outgive Jesus? You can't do it. You can try. Not going to work. So then Christian generosity is to be spiritual, it's to be intentional, it's to be proportional, and then finally it's supposed to be sacrificial. But that's that's what it is. But we need to look at where it comes from, right? And and as we do this, it's important to note what Paul doesn't do. Here's what he doesn't do. Paul doesn't tell them, you need to give or else. Give or I'm coming to breakfast. Like, it. it's on. I'm coming. Nor does he say... You all need to think of the poor Christians in other parts of the world who have nothing. And you have so much. You have so much. You could give just pennies a day. Like, it's not what he does. In other words, he doesn't try to coerce them using either force or guilt. That's what both of those things are. He's trying to tug on our guilt strings. You're right, I have so much. I could give. I I feel guilty. That's not what Paul does. Instead, he proclaims the gospel. Look again at verse 9. Our giving stems from the gospel. Remember... When Paul says that you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, Christians believe that Jesus wasn't just a cool dude. He certainly wasn't just a prophet like somebody who said a few good things. We believe that he is God. God in the flesh. And so when we talk about Jesus being rich, we talk about him existing in the fullness of the Godhead without need, without limit, in perfect, unbroken relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit. We mean he is truly rich. But for us, and and in this, Paul actually moves that for you. He, He moves it to the front of his sentence for emphasis. He wants to make sure you understand it. For you who were poor, he became poor. Okay? now I said this before. It bears repeating. Jesus exchanged circumstances with us. He exchanged circumstances. When Paul says that we were poor, what he was pointing to was our brokenness. Because the Bible teaches that you and I, uh, though made for God, have have turned away from Him. That by nature we are separated from God by our sin. Like Paul says in another of his letters, the the book of Romans, that that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All means all, right? So he's talking about me, he's talking about you, he's talking about everybody, everyone that's been born, have have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In other words, our standard for, for how well we're doing is not us It's not our little culture, and it's not our heroes. The standard is God. Well, God's perfect, Rick. I know. And we were meant to reflect His glory, but we've fallen short of it because of our sin. But Jesus exchanged His position for ours. He came, He lived the perfect life that we couldn't, and then He died for the sake of our sin. We were the ones who betrayed God, but Jesus died for that betrayal. He took our place. He exchanged his situation for ours. He took our poverty so that we could be given his wealth. And so Christian generosity must start with the gospel. The only thing that makes us truly rich, the only thing that that makes us uh, truly rich before God and truly rich in the world is Jesus. If you think that you are secure before God or, or secure in the world because you have enough money or secure before God because you give enough money, You are deceived. The only one who can make us truly rich, the only one who can in fact give us what we think money should, is Jesus. We come to him. We must be willing to let him exchange his place for ours, be willing to depend fully on him. If not, we are stuck in our poverty. No matter how much we have or how much we give. So it begins with the gospel, but it comes from a transformed heart. Look down at verse 8. This is crucial for us. Paul says, I don't say this to command you, but to prove the earnestness of your love for others. And then he tells the story of Jesus. Here's why this matters. Paul is saying, look, if you actually believe this about Jesus, then this is the kind of generosity that will be produced. If you believe what Paul says about Jesus, then that is the kind of generosity that will be produced. Did you see that? This is why he isn't commanding it. I mean, he could have, right? I mean, Paul commanded lots of things. He had the authority in the early church. He could have commanded them. In other places, in in, in the, the first letter that he wrote to the Corinthians, he commanded people to literally remove someone from the church. Like he could command them to do stuff. But he didn't. He didn't. He didn't because of his assumption that if you've experienced the grace of God in Jesus, then you will be generous. And in fact, your level of generosity may in fact test, proportionally of course, may in fact test whether you have experienced the grace of God in Jesus. Now look, some of you are getting mad. Don't, don't tune me out. Stay with me for a second. Here's, here's why this matters. If you believe that you had nothing before God, nothing, you had nothing to offer Him. That you had nothing, that you had lost it all. But that God and Jesus gave you everything by taking your place. That He gave it all to you. And that because He gave it all, that because of that, there was nothing you could do to lose it. Then you can give because you, what you most need can't be taken from you. Look, if you're a Christian here this morning, I need you to hear me really closely. Jesus came to you when you were at your worst. I know you don't think that. Many of us think, well, I'm doing all right. No, no, you don't You, don't you didn't see your poverty. But Jesus came to you when you were at your worst. And when you had nothing to offer you, he gave you reconciliation with God. And if you've known that kind of love, you will want to be like that. So if you struggle with generosity. Listen, I love you guys. If you struggle with generosity, if you find your money flowing easily towards your wants and desires. And look, when I say wants and desires, I don't just mean spending. Because sometimes, I'm not talking spending saving. Right? Because many of us think that. We think spending bad, saving godly. No, 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 no. No, no, no. The opposite of spending isn't saving, it's giving, okay? If you find your money flowing freely towards your wants and desires, whether those wants are on on the next new gadget, new toy, new thing for your house, or on making sure that you have enough money in your savings account that nothing will ever hurt you again, and you find your money flowing more freely towards those things than towards Christ, his mission, and his church, then what Paul is not telling you this morning is, don't worry about it. Your giving should be voluntary. So you know what? Until that heart's cheerful, don't worry about it. What Paul is saying this morning is, you may need to check your heart to see if you've actually been saved by Jesus. Look, at the end of the day, our giving, our generosity, is a barometer of where we are with Jesus. It doesn't... Look, barometers don't make the weather, right? They don't make the weather. They just judge the air. That's all a barometer is. And our giving can be a barometer of where we are at with Jesus. And so you cannot say, okay, well, if I make my. All I need to do is give more and I'll be right before God. No, no, no. You're you're missing the point. It's a barometer, It, 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 it doesn't turn the heat up. We have to return to God through the gospel and then take on a generosity that is spiritual, that is intentional, that is proportional, and that is sacrificial. But we do that not to get God's love, but because we've been given it, and then we can go show it to the world. Would you pray with me? Father, there's not a person in this room who um, hates, hates to have anyone talk about our bank accounts. And so we need your grace. Lord, I am thankful that you have created a generous community here in this church, but I pray that you would challenge us all the more to continue in that, to excel in the grace of giving. Lord, would you give us grace that we may be extenders of grace? Lord, as you do it, would you, would you bless this community, um, not, with, not with more and more money, but with more of you. That we may see that our money is, is nothing compared to you. And so have it lose its power on our minds and on our hearts that we might show you to the world by giving it. And help us to do so from transformed hearts that are gripping onto Christ and Christ alone. This we ask in his name. Amen.